Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to collinslaststand.com. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 90, which is my actual age. <laughs> my name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by Chris. Stay far away from him. Raygun, Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. Yeah? Yeah, I'm not too shabby. Yeah, that's good to hear. No one in your house has the Wuhan? Uh, no, but I mean, who knows at this point, honestly. Yeah, yeah. How you feel? I mean, like, you know what, what we haven't talked. We talked a little bit about it in, on Sacred Symbols Plus 32, I think that was. Yeah. So people can go listen to that if they want. But, you know, I keep saying just follow the instructions of your government and municipality and try to stay away from people and wash your hands. <laughs> yeah, I think it's common that I think a lot of people think this is overblown and maybe it is. I don't know, but. I think it's best to err on the side of caution. So everyone out there, keep yeah, for sure. erring on the side of caution. Even if you hate the government like I do, you still want to listen to them at this particular moment, this junction in time. Did you see that uh, Rage Against the Machine tweet? Yeah, it was. I, I, yeah, that, was really, I, I, that was pretty good. Yeah, it was. It was It was good. I think it's really scary that it's frustrating to me because like, I don't I think that we can. I'm sick of this flatten the curve fucking talk i want to actually kill myself if i hear that term again but the fact is if everyone just stayed away from each other for just a little while it would just go away quicker you know like we would just be able to deal with it quicker instead of just like some people are doing the right thing and some people aren't and who knows what's real and what's not but i i think within matters of life and death conspiracy theories don't serve much of a purpose and so if the cdc and very intelligent scientists and doctors are saying things then yeah I think it's good to listen to them. Here's the thing. There's virtually no financial incentive to crash the economy over a fake virus. No. So chances are uh, it's a real thing. Chances are you're going to want to just be be careful. It's it's better to be kind of loony for a little bit and be like a bit of a hermit than it is to be uh, an overconfident asshole that accidentally kills a bunch of people. Right. So... Right. Yeah. And I have a bunch of not a, I don't want to say a bunch, but, you know, if you, I have some older family members and immunocompromised people and people with heart conditions and all this. And yeah, so I'm especially worried about that. I mean, my life's not changed at all. I don't even leave the house. So I just go and run errands sometimes and get the mail, you know, whatever you have to do. But my life's really not changed materially at all. So I'm watching the stock market with great trepidation and Got to say also a little bit of intrigue because I think it might be a good time to buy for uh, all of us out there in a couple months. But yeah, nonetheless, uh, first and foremost, yeah, just stay safe. Please stay safe out there. Be well uh, and take heart that we are all going through it together. And at least we have in our particular hobby, we're all shut ins and losers anyway. So we have our video games to keep us company. Doom's coming out. Yeah. Neo 2 just came out. Perfect time. Seven's coming out. Yeah. Good times. We're fine. Everything's fine. So stay confident. And uh, be good out there. All right. So uh, Sacred Symbols is our weekly PlayStation podcast. You can get it three days early and ad free on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. 
Your subscription is greatly appreciated. You can join us for as little as 25 cents a week, and it helps us continue to do the show. I can pay Chris's bills and <laughs> help him survive this dark and dire world. So please do join us over there. You also get exclusive access to Sacred Symbols Plus, our weekly supplemental episode of the show where we go 60, 90, sometimes even 120 minutes on some random topics. I think this week we actually will go into Xbox Series X now that Microsoft has released more details about it. So we have more to talk about. And you can, of course, submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas on Patreon for that episode and all others. Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. Leave us nice reviews on free feeds if you're a freeloader or a scallywag or a rabble rouser or any of those combination of things. And remember that our game Twin Breaker, a Sacred Symbols adventure, comes out very soon. Yeah. March 24th. By the time you hear the next episode of this, the game will be out. And it's uh, very exciting for us. Pre-orders on PlayAsia.com end March 19th. So if you're hearing this on free feeds, it's too late for you. Hopefully you listened. Digital 999 cross by two trophy lists. Game again comes out March 24th. We've been working hard on fixing some things that were broken. And they're not really broken. We've had some problems with trophies. We wanted to make sure to refine and some text that needed to be corrected and all the rest. So there are patches available. And so, yeah, we've been working hard on all of that as well. Now, Chris, I, I was going to wait to talk about this until we got to the games we're playing, but I want to talk to you about it now. What do you think of the game? You played through the final build. You beat the game. Yeah, I played and beat it on both PS4 and Vita. I got the platinum trophy on PS4. Still have to get the platinum on Vita, but uh it's my game, so I'll break the embargo all I want. We can talk about it as much as you'd like. So what do you think of the game? Do you think it's do you think it's good? I'm actually really I'm really happy with it. Yeah, no, it came out really good. It's uh, it's especially interesting because I'm not really at all into Arkanoid at all. Like those are not my style of games at all. So when I like finished it, I was kind of when I finished it, I was disappointed that there wasn't more to it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like there was yeah. like it, that it ended and I was like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> like, like I don't that doesn't normally happen yeah you wanted more that's good yeah it's good it came out came out really great yeah thank you yeah well we we are we are committed to doing a sequel and the game does end on a cliffhanger so you guys have that to look forward to did you like uh seeing yourself in the game your dialogue <laughs> it's a little weird that? it's a little freaky yeah something uh something weird about that for sure yeah I tried to make it fun and and funny and you know uh, it's serious I I the game has serious themes so i hope that people don't go into it thinking that it's just it's supposed to be referential to us in a way but it's a game about first contact and war and yeah humanity and all that and i hope that people take the messages away from it that are in there but i guess it's going to be up to interpretation and hopefully everyone enjoys it i will be doing a episode all about the development of the game with barry and then we'll maybe all three of us do a, a spoiler cast after that at some point so both of those will be on Sacred Symbols Plus because I'd love to talk about the story and see what people took out of it because I've never put a piece of fiction into the world, actually. So it's interesting and I'll be I'll be interested to see if people think it's as good as I think it is. But I don't know. I'm biased. Yeah. I wrote it. Yeah, of course. All right. So, yeah, check out Twin Breaker. Thank you so much for your excitement. Really don't know if again, if it's good timing or bad timing. but <laughs> We'll see. I guess we're going to find out. I think it's probably good timing. Yeah, I think so. But I'd prefer that we weren't all suffering from a pandemic if it were up to me. Ripperoo22 has the only correction this week. He says, hey, guys, just wanted to say I loved the last episode, but I had a bit of an issue with the way Colin pronounced Chocobo when discussing connections between the Final Fantasy games. Colin, I love you, but this is completely unacceptable. 
and way worse than your dislike for Final Fantasy X, which is by far the best in the series. Much love to you both, though. Well, first of all, you have fucking terrible taste. Ripper Roo. <laughs> by the way, my my dad uh, called me a few days ago. I was talking to him and he was saying that he was listening to an episode of Knockback where I called the patrons fucking assholes or something like that. I think it was the Matrix. Yeah, that I did. And uh, he was like, you really shouldn't be calling your fans that. I'm like, that's a joke. I guess it's not. I guess it's not coming through. My dad just thinks I'm fucking shitting on everyone on the Internet. But um, <laughs> obviously I'm joking. But uh, yeah, so last week I so the the word chocobo, which is how it's said. Yeah. Isn't it? Isn't it chocobo? That's how I always pronounced it. It is. But I sometimes throw in chocobo because there are a bunch of names from video games that I was saying wrong. I think that's probably everyone's experience. Gaiden is probably the biggest one. Ninja Gaiden. But also there are others like in the well, in our area where we're from, Chris, in the tri-state. I don't know if it was for you, but we all called it Mario, Super Mario Brothers. Oh, no, we didn't call it Mario. Jesus Christ. No, no. Mario. You said Mario. Yeah, like Mario. And (laughs) and so I I didn't I had to be slowly corrected. Like, um, Ico is another one. Like I used to call it Ico. Yeah. And I used to call id software ID software. And all of that stuff until I was corrected in the broadband Internet age when you heard people saying it. And I worked at IGN, so obviously I was corrected there as well. But sometimes Chakabu just slips out. You know, right, like right. I have to. I, it's just it's in there deep in my mind. That's fair. And so I do. Yeah. So I do know it's Chocobo, but you can see how I would get Chocobo. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, it's sure. C-H-O-C-O-B-O. So. Mm. Yeah, I, I would always uh, every time I would see Doom, I would always uh, when I was a kid, I would only always I would always ever see Doom in like mirrors. So I always thought it was mood for like the <laughs> longest time. Boy, Holy was that moly. embarrassing. You, you really are dyslexic. <laughs> so I did want to I did want to read that and uh, acknowledge your correction. Ripperoo 22. Thank you for that. Chris. A lot of people have been writing into us. I'm not going to discuss this in the news. I think it's kind of, in a way, not a news story. But this Naughty Dog article on Kotaku by Jason Schreier, it's called as Naughty Dog Crunches on The Last of Us 2. Developers wonder how much longer this approach can last. And a ton of people, and I mean a ton of people, wrote in about this. And by the way, I just want to reiterate, too, it's it's worth your while to read what other people are submitting, because by the time I get to like the 10th or 15th of the same question, I'm just starting to skip them. So you're wasting your inquiry on things that have already been asked. And I feel bad about that, but there's nothing I can do. I can't for I can't force you to drink the water horses. I can only lead you to the water. Yeah. And then it's up to you what you do with it. But Jared Hines wrote into his Chris and he said, hello, curvaceous Colin and Kathana Chris. What is your reaction to Jason Schreier's new Kotaku expose on Naughty Dog and their development of The Last of Us 2? While Naughty Dog has been upfront about crunch time in the past and how that it is practically practically an expectation for their games, this article paints a much bleaker environment for the studio, so much so that some developers say that there's a part of them that actually wishes this game would fail. I remember when a similar article came out about Rockstar with the development of Red Dead Redemption 2 and you guys broke down the game development hierarchy. But one of the takeaways from that discussion you had was that working hard being, uh, and he says quote, so this might have been a quote, I like a direct quote of one of us working hard, being a workaholic and putting your all into a creative field or endeavor makes sense as long as you don't normalize the behavior End quote. Do you believe that Naughty Dog is taking advantage of that workaholic mentality as some fear being the first one to leave the office when everyone else is still working? 
I personally am at a crossroads with this article as these guys are compensated for their extra time. However, no one should loathe coming into work or loathe coming into work and not knowing if they're going home that night. I look forward to hearing your comments on this and keep Tuesday is great. What was your thought? What were your thoughts, Chris, on this Naughty Dog article that popped up last week? I would say it's very similar to the last crunch article that came out that we talked about, which is that uh, these are things that happen when you are making games that have a lot of expectations behind them. And when people are very passionate about certain things, they will work very, very hard on them and they will work unnecessarily hard on them. And sometimes companies can exploit that. And that's definitely a true thing. The more, the more interesting thing that I saw about this whole news, uh, this whole news story was there were some people, there was one guy in particular who left, who said, a more organized and professional team could have put The Last of Us Part Two out a year ago, which is the thing that I saw that, that kind of struck me as kind of interesting because he's kind of implying that there, there is like a lot of perfectionism at Naughty Dog, but it's really, really poorly organized and it's, it's just, it's, it's literally just, it's, it's the Bioware magic kind of thing. And I wouldn't be surprised to, to learn that Naughty Dog has a bioware magic kind of mentality uh that that wouldn't shock me at all and and in fact when uh the dude said when there's some anonymous person who was asked um about the game and they said they hope it would, they hoped that it would fail there were people saying that about dragon age i think at bioware hoping that game would fail because they were so convinced that bioware magic was a thing so i don't know this is a, this is a big topic and it's there's a lot to talk about this this is a whole this could be an entire episode about just this so it's hard yeah. to just answer a question in like a, a line or two. Yeah, I agree. The The parallel thing that Chris is mentioning is a Twitter thread from a guy named Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Cooper, Game Anim. His name is G-A-M-E-A-N-I-M on Twitter. He was he did animation on Uncharted 4 and The Last of Us 2, Assassin's Creed 3, the Mass Effect series. And he left, I guess, last year. And he had a little tweet storm where he does say that the game would have been finished by a more organized and more professional team. And that the real talent of the studio has largely left in a lot of different ways. I feel in a way similar to what you said at the top, Chris, which was this story seems like a a repeat of what was said about Red Dead Redemption 2. And I would really love a follow up with the Red Dead Redemption 2 story just from if like the people that wrote the original expose, I think that was Jason as well, could talk to the same exact sources and see how they like their bonus checks that they got. Some of them scaling into the six figures for their work on Red Dead Redemption 2. And if you don't want to put a monetary value on your time, that's fine. But that's the way business works. And I again feel like the lead is being buried in a lot of these stories for an end. I don't think it's telling the story exactly the way it should be told. They bury in the story that contractors get time and a half and double time after eight and 12 hours, respectively. If I were them, I would want to work as much as possible. If that were the case, they ignore the fact and bury in the article, again, the bonus checks and the expense, expansive months that they get off after games like this. So it's not like you're just working this and then you just go back into the lull of a 40 or 50 hour work week. That's just not the way it works at these studios. And I just until I hear a story about how someone is threatened to be fired or if they're literally chained to a desk working on one of these games. I just, I don't feel that bad about it. I I just don't. People would kill to be in this position. 
It's not to say Naughty Dog can't do better. It's not to say that they have all of the best talent in the stu- in the uh, industry because they don't. But I just don't understand what people don't understand about the creation of pieces of art like this. It's just not going to be done in tidy 40 hour weeks yeah. in three years. It's just not. It's not possible. I don't, I don't. Right. I don't. This isn't necessarily how I see it, but I think the perspective is generally it's one thing to work so hard that it like destroys you and like you're crippling yourself emotionally and physically and possibly causing permanent damage to yourself to get something like a vaccine created or something that is kind of necessary versus a piece of art which ultimately at the end of the day is not actually necessary that's the only lens that i could look at it through that would lend any amount of credence to it to me like what are you doing what like what is the incentive to break your back for something that's ultimately just not really all that important yeah i guess but i think i mean i hear you because it's not it's not like the coronavirus vaccine or something i'm not saying that i think this by the way this is just like my best (laughs) interpretation of a viewpoint yeah i understand i I think from my perspective i just feel like there it's such a multi-discipline field yeah for sure probably more than almost any art like even more than i think movie and television production oh yeah takes way longer to do And I just don't think you can like people that think even people in the industry, it's really shocking to me when people are like, you could just you could produce your way out of this with a producer and stuff. And it's worth noting that Naughty Dog until I think Uncharted 4 didn't have producers, which is really crazy. I mean, that's certainly fucking crazy. And for people that don't know, producers in the video game industry are basically the schedule keepers and make sure that things are coming together and being done on time. But even at studios where there are producers, things don't necessarily get done on time. And so I want to throw that in that that's certainly not helping Naughty Dog's reputation and this inability to have like a a vertical arrangement with producers and instead have this really flat structure has not really helped them stay organized. And I get that they've delayed a lot of their games in the past, although they did make the Uncharted trilogy pretty quickly. But for me, I look at the situation and I'm like, yeah, you could have helped yourself and made this a little bit easier on your team. But because of the multidiscipline nature, I, I just I'm so shocked by some of the ignorance coming from both inside and outside of the industry where it's like you could have really scheduled this better and, and had this so you don't have to crunch. And I'm like, it's just not the way it works. I mean, even even if you don't know anything about video games and know about how they're made, you you should know better than to think that that's how it works, because something is discovered or a design is changed or a scene has to be added or they like they say they play tested and something needs to be fixed and then it fucks everything up. I mean, that's just the way it works. It's not like you can just say like three years out, like in two years from now in April, we're going to be working on this. It's like that's just not how it works. You can have five producers on the on the project and it's not going to work. So mm-hmm. I just think people need to be a little bit more realistic about how they expect these great triple A games to be made. And is it an arms race? Yeah, it definitely is. And I'm a little concerned that people in the studio are there's actually people working on the game that want the game to fail. That's fucking crazy because that now sacrifices everyone's hard work and sacrifices your own monetary gain at the back end. And this what could be the most important game you ever make. And I just don't know what people expect and what they want. And when I read stuff on Kotaku, I can't help but feel like 
it's like listening to a lot of political commentators online or reading certain websites or magazines where it just it's always about reinforcing the point. You're never going to hear something nice about work conditions or culture on Kotaku, which is not going to happen. You're never going to see a story about how about the detriment of a union. You're never going to hear a story about how crunch made a game better. You're never going to hear a story like it's just always to a narrative. And I just think it's dishonest because I think that anyone can talk to a group of people and come out with a story on the other end. But I don't understand what the problem is. If you don't want to work at Naughty Dog, don't. If you don't want to work on games, don't. If you don't want to crunch, don't. And I don't I don't understand how else to put it. I just I feel like we're reading it's like reading about serfdom or something. It's like are you, or indentured servitude. It's like you're you're not a slave to this. Like yeah. if you don't want to work that much, don't. Like go do something else. I I t- I don't know. So I'm not excusing abusive behavior in the workplace or unsafe behavior. They actually open with the article opens with what what was a pretty unsafe thing that happened, where I think a light fixture fell out of the ceiling. But even then, that's not Naughty Dog's fault. That's the construction's like, that's the weird thing about opening with that. It's like there's a construction team up. They work in an office building in Santa Monica over, I think, two floors called the Water Garden. And there's a I guess there was construction going on like overnight upstairs and the construction crew like fucked something up and something fell out of the ceiling. And it's like, that's Naughty Dog's fault. You know, like, I just don't know. That's what I'm saying. It just seems like everything is always the developer's fault, and the publisher's fault. Always. No mm-hmm. one has any agency over their lives. There's nothing to be gained from working hard. And I'm just kind of sick of hearing about it. Right. Until someone has something new to say, I'm sick of hearing about it. And even this Jonathan Cooper guy on Twitter, it's interesting to read his thread. But then people dig up like his old tweets where it's like he was thrilled to be there. And he as of like a year ago, he loved it. And he couldn't believe that the sheer talent and all this kind of stuff and people's tunes just change. And you're allowed to change your mind and have different experiences. But I think it's just important that we continue to view things with a skeptical eye. And I really did like how Neil Druckmann came out and somewhat passively, aggressively defended his team. Yeah. Which I thought was a really nice thing to do and something that he didn't have to do. And that probably, I would say, even brought some heat on him. So I don't know, like he wrote on the 13th, even after years of working on it, I'm still blown away by the animation in part two. We have one of if not the best animation team in the industry, both in raw animation skill and technical knowledge. Can't wait for you to experience their incredible work. And that was obviously a passive reaction to what people were saying about how all the good animators left. Well, how does that make the people there feel? You know, and then he wrote some unsung heroes of part two are the members of our production team. You all have brought order to order to our chaos, wrangled a complex schedule and facilitated valuable communication. Game wouldn't be what it is without you. Hats off. So I think it's really cool that he came out and, um, and said those things as well, because it would have been easier to just, just ignore it. Yeah. All right. So um, Ali G, not to be confused with Ali G, wrote in and said, hello, Coitus Colin and copulating Chris. In a recent episode, both of you seemed concerned about Ghost of Tsushima being released so close to The Last of Us Part Two. Since summer is so barren when it comes to games, do you think this is the strategy behind the release date in June? I think there is enough breathing room for both games. Second, I've heard that this might be a strategy by PlayStation to dominate the conversation around E3, RIP. Basically, a PlayStation sandwich that Xbox is stuck in and can't avoid. What are your guys' thoughts? I was surprised. We got a lot of negative feedback about, I don't don't think it was so much you, but about a lot of my skepticism about not only the release date of Ghost of Tsushima, but that it seems to indicate that Sony doesn't really feel confident in it. 
Right. Do you, do you have your thoughts changed at all now that you've gotten a little more time to marinate on it? Or I mean, I, I didn't think that it was because they were unconfident. I just thought they were. I, I just think Sony is just kind of inept at scheduling things. <laughs> like, it just feels like uh, a lot of their higher end kind of uh, framework people who kind of decide when news comes out or, or like when certain things happen. They're just not particularly smart right now I, I don't know i don't know what else to to say like i think uh we brought it up last time about how they started talking about ps5 and on the same day that concrete genie came out and it's like what you know it's it's a similar kind of thing where it's like why would why would this why would you talk about all this now and then and then why would you have this release date here it just seems it just seems like poor planning more so than it seems like a lack of confidence in the product but also i don't know maybe maybe there is something to the fact that june is or summer is particularly barren. Uh, that's a, a reasonable strategy. I don't. I don't think it's to dominate the conversation around E3, though. I think it's. I think it's more likely. Hey, summer is a good time. Yeah, we will. I guess find out. I don't really. I don't really have much more to say. I feel like I made a pretty good case for why I felt that way, just because of the proximity to The Last of Us Part Two and announcing The Last of Us TV series the same day as yeah. the Ghost of Tsushima's release date is weird and. I think that that's obvious, but I appreciate that everyone gave that feedback and uh, feel like we're being a little hard on it, or I am anyway, and uh, you're heard loud and clear, but I am going to uh, stick with my gut there, and we'll see how it all turns out in June. Yeah. And then finally, Chris, there is a frivolous, I don't want to say frivolous, but there's a Konami story making the rounds. It's not going to be in news, Mm -hmm. but there's a story making the rounds that Konami is interested in purchasing, or I'm sorry, selling to Sony, Metal Gear, Silent Hill, and Castlevania. This seems, frankly, preposterous to me. So I could be wrong on this, but and I, I could it could be something as easy as like Konami is going to license their games to Sony as PS5 exclusives or whatever their IP. But we're not talking about it because it's unsubstantiated and I personally don't believe it. So I just wanted to throw that out there. But if it does come true or there's more information about that, we will certainly talk about it and and mm-hmm. work our way through it. But I wanted to let everyone know why that's not going to be in the news yeah there's no way that's <laughs> i i pers- there's no way that's happening i just don't understand why i can i could believe that konami would be like we were just going to give all of our games as licenses to sony to do what they want with i believe that i think that's possible but why would they sell their ip when they can just milk their ip it doesn't make any sense from a yeah. financial standpoint especially at all. castlevania castlevania is huge right now yeah it's like got there's, that anime. there's no yeah. good reason to sell Castlevania. Castlevania is probably, weirdly enough, like if you had told me, like if, if this story had broke or if this rumor had started, uh, you know, coming around about like a year and a half ago, two years ago, I would say that Castlevania is probably the least important one. But I would say that honestly now it's it's probably the most. Yeah, it's got that critically acclaimed Netflix series. And now some people are looking into some of the things that were going on around, I guess, the the real or I guess around the Castlevania franchise in particular, it's true that Castlevania Requiem, for instance, was ported with Sony's money to PS4 and all that. But some people are looking a little too much into it with Blue Point games and a Metal Gear game being rumored to, to being established there. But Blue Point before Blue Point was really known to anyone is the studio that ported Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3 to Xbox 360 and PS3 and Vita. So they're not new to that franchise and they're not new to having a relationship with Konami. So I, I'm just pretty skeptical about the way that that story is worded and we'll see yeah. how it all turns out. But as it's worded, I do not believe it. So I could be wrong and we'll find out. But that's why it's not being treated as real news for the time being. Chris, 
let's get into what we're playing. We talked about Twin Breaker already. It says here you're playing Destiny 2. Yeah, there's a... I think there's a new season happening right now. So they, they've been doing these season refreshes, a new season every, I think every month or two. Or there's, there's some oscillating season thing going on on Destiny right now. And they had this big event, and now there's a, a really competitive uh, PvP mode that's coming back into the fray that's uh, got me and my roommates pretty excited. Don't know how interesting it really is. Uh, as far as like how interesting it is to talk about, because you can pretty much always assume that if I if I don't write down Destiny Two, I'm probably playing Destiny Two, because it's just the the background game that I play all the time. Like every night, I do a couple games and shit. But uh, if by any chance somebody is uh, listening to this who has any standing at Bungie whatsoever, please uh, may, maybe don't buff auto rifles. It's it's really unnecessary. Hard light is unavoidable. I can't stop seeing that gun, and it's uh, making the game kind of unbearable. So I'll just I'll just say that basically. I think we I'm trying to think here. I feel like I discussed this on plus, so I don't want to assume that everyone heard that. But I wish I didn't have my weird control freak out in 2014 because I, I think I'd be more into destiny. Yeah. At this point than I than I currently am. Oh, yeah. The the uh, what is it? Because you had that moment where your brain short circuited. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't <laughs> play like any first person shooters for like two months. It was really weird. It's it's I, I don't think you would get that into it. No, probably not. I love first person shooters like I like playing them and I don't play enough of them anymore. So but you're right. But I did love the division and I feel like it's structured somewhat the same. I mean, they're not the same genre, but yeah, I think it's possible that I would have liked Destiny more than I think that I would. But I just missed out on the boat, I think. Yeah, that's fair. So I'm still playing Gumbear, Super Strikers, nothing more to really say about that. But I did download buy and download Langrisser one and two. Which are these old Mega Drive slash Genesis games. The second one actually never came out here. The first one came out on Genesis in the United States as a game called Warsong. These are strategy, like tactical role playing games. It's good. I haven't gotten very far. It's not quite what I'm looking for, but I need to sit with it more and spend a little bit more time with it. But it is out there. It's a little expensive. I think I paid like 40 or 50 bucks for it. That seems a little steep to me, but... It was published by NIS America, which is cool. And it is worth noting that there is a mode to kind of like make the animation and the art look new or go back to the old style and the music and the voice acting, which is in Japanese and all that. So it's pretty cool if you're into that sort of ability to break out and play one version or the other. And it's two games in one, which is nice as well. But I want to give it a shout out. It's interesting. People should go watch a trailer, see if it might be for you. It's certainly not like Felseal or anything like that, where it's just this extraordinary tactical role-playing game. <laughs> but but I dig nonetheless, and I'm glad I checked it out, although I probably should have waited. It probably would be on sale yeah. pretty soon. Yeah, probably. All right, Chris, let's get into the news. Number one, E3 2020 has been officially canceled, meaning this will be the first year since the mid-90s that the world-famous gaming trade show hasn't taken place. According to the official website of the Entertainment Software Association, the American lobbying group that owns and operates E3. The show will not happen in Los Angeles or anywhere else, though there may be some sort of online or streaming component that replaces some of what was being planned. Their statement reads in part, quote, following increased and overwhelming concerns about the COVID-19 virus, we felt this was best the best way uh, to proceed during such an unprecedented global situation. We are very disappointed that we are unable to hold this event for our fans and supporters, but we know it's the right decision based on the information we have today. End quote. Both exhibitors and paying attendees will be issued full refunds, and the ESA promises to bring E3 back in 2021. 
News of E3's cancellation comes alongside other announcements, including the cancellation of all Electronic Arts run live and competitive events for the foreseeable future, and a promise from Gamescom, which runs in August in Germany, that all purchase tickets will be refunded if that show can't proceed as intended. Garrett Jaggard wrote in and said, Greetings, coronavirus Colin and crustaceous Chris. With E3 having already been canceled due to the Wuhan outbreak becoming such a serious concern in the U.S., do you believe the show will ever return? Or is this just an unceremonious mercy killing? Thank you for making the Tuesday. Thank you, Garrett, for your inquiry. So it does say in the statement that the ESA released that they do intend on bringing the show back in 2021. But Chris, do you think it will actually happen? No, no, I don't think so. (laughs) You think it's over? I think it's over. I I think... the ESA relies so heavily on E3, and I don't know. I, I just don't know where they're going to get the money. Like I just genuinely, maybe they could get like a a grant <laughs> or so. I, like I, I genuinely, I genuinely have no idea. Like if I was at the ESA, I, I, w- I would have no clue how to put on that show. It's possible that E3 continues as far as like the IP, like the like E3 as a thing, and probably just kind of dev- devolves into like a smaller. Packs kind of deal but like even then like i i don't know man this is a pretty big it's a pretty big blow and it couldn't have come at a worse time with everybody leaving and you know like i i would i would stand to say that a year a year ago two years ago e3 probably could have survived a cancellation like this but like jeff Keeley pulling out sony pulling out all sorts of people pulling out the increase of tension between the esa and the people who actually do like e3 and just like the, the way that they handled last year when they doxed all those media personalities and all those influencers and, and journalists and and it's just the worst possible time for this kind of thing to happen and i i do think it's probably a, a final blow i think they're kind of trying to save face by kind of ensuring people who might be interested in helping them come back next year that hey you know we plan on going ahead but i really don't think they have a plan i think it's all talk yeah i'm wondering if because I mentioned this when GDC was canceled, that they were really, really quite forthcoming with make, offering refunds and stuff. And obviously they had all these sunken costs and in San Francisco, getting the Moscone Center and L.A., obviously getting the L.A. Expo Center and or Convention Center and all of this. I do wonder if there are insurance policies that they take out, like these massive corporate insurance policies that cover this sort of thing. And that might be the reason why ever, even with Gamescom, they're so forthcoming with offering refunds. Because otherwise, I don't really see how it would be possible to maintain uh, your financial solvency, like you're saying, without having run the show that's worth 50% of their annual revenue. So there's got to be more to this than meets the eye. I don't think they can just say like, oh, we'll see what happens next year. I think that they have to say that they're going to do E3 next year and then see what happens from there. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they intend on doing it, but I agree with you. I think it's very much like the work at home stuff. That's happening right now. A lot of companies are going to realize they don't need to have corporate offices when they realize that work is getting done and everyone's fine just working from home and it lowers overhead and it makes things cheaper. And people might realize with E3 that it's really not necessary. Mm -hmm. And so we will find out. I think you're right. Yeah. Number two, E3's cancellation naturally nixes all of the more traditional press conference uh, plans the attending publishers and platformers platform holders had with one major surprise among the casualties. For the first time ever, Warner Brothers Games publishing arm was planning to do an E3 press conference, according to a tweet from Kotaku's Jason Schreier. This represents an interesting twist, as WB has traditionally inserted its games into the hardware manufacturer's press conferences as it made sense to do so, though Sony had already opted not to be at E3 this year before the coronavirus crisis befell us. 
It was here at the press conference that WB was going to show off not only the much-teased WB Montreal Batman game, but Rocksteady's eagerly anticipated game, and also a AAA Harry Potter RPG that has been long rumored and in development for some time. Jason notes on Twitter that he's unclear what WB's plan is now, and it's of course possible that they, along with other press conference holders, will simply do a VOD or a live but remote version of their press conferences to get the word out on their upcoming games. This was a little bit of a surprise to me because I didn't anticipate this. Bethesda was the last publisher to join in 2015, I think it was, with having an E3 press conference for the first time, and they've been doing it every year since. I never expected that WB was going to do their own. They have a lot to talk about, it seems like. What did you make of this news? Because these are uh, pretty anticipated games. This Batman game has been teased for a while. Rocksteady's been quiet since 2015, so it's been like almost five years since they released Arkham Knight. Yeah. And uh, the Harry Potter RPG... Um, has been I, mean, I don't give a fuck about Harry Potter, but I know that that's going to be a big one as well. So what did you uh, make of of this absence? This is a pretty big blow. Yeah, I mean, it is a pretty big blow. But at the same time, we probably wouldn't have known about this for for a decent amount of time. You know, I feel like this would have been something that they would have unveiled like a little bit before E3. Like, hey, we're having a conference. Oh, boy. And uh, now we kind of know sooner that they have stuff to show, which means that we know that they're definitely going to they're definitely going to show a Batman game this year. We know that they're definitely going to show off that game, that Harry Potter thing. We know they have, because what else are they going to show? Like, what else could they possibly have aside from the Batman game? There would be no reason, there would be no reason to throw a press conference unless you had that. It it would be the same thing as uh, Bethesda finally joining E3 for the first time. It's like, oh, well, they're definitely going to talk about Fallout. Like, there's no way they're going to have a, (laughs) like, they're not going to not unveil Fallout 4 at their first E3 press conference. So I think it's, you know, it's it's kind of cool. I think they're probably just going to do what Microsoft said they were going to do and just do like a like a live streamed virtual event. Um, I think it would just make sense. I think people are starting to realize that they don't need to be at these at these uh, trade shows anymore. And I think it's cool that we have this information now as opposed to getting it, you know, a couple months later. It means we have something to look forward to in the lack, in the absence of a E3 week. Yeah, I think that they could do something like Square Enix has done where more recently where they don't have like any sort of live stage presence, even if it's videotaped, but rather just a series of trailers and interviews and stuff, which I think is really appropriate for a publisher the size of Square Enix. And Square Enix is, I would even argue, a little bit bigger than WB. But yeah, I think this explains a lot why the Montreal WB Montreal Batman game has been being teased so much because we did talk about that, I think, just last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone wrote in about that and Rocksteady's game. I, I don't know. There was a lot of Justice League rumoring going on, and I think then they dispelled that. I don't know what the fuck they're doing. It would be really nice if they were doing something unique, but who knows? Something not licensed. But that's kind of WB's trump card is to have access to all these licenses. So I think... That's probably unlikely. And then the Harry Potter RPG, I I guess Harry Potter is still incredibly relevant. So with the wizarding world of Harry Potter and with the um, Fantastic Beasts books and whatnot. So I'll uh, eagerly anticipate that. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do because it is cool to see a new entrant. Because when Bethesda did theirs, I felt like they really should have just done one every two or three years because they, I think, have had pretty weak conferences since that first one. But yeah, it would be interesting to see if this was just like WB's stars aligning once and then they would go away again or just go back to the the uh, manufacturers press conferences as needed so we'll keep an eye out for that uh number three for a month or so we here on this podcast have been discussing the chance that playstation 5 wouldn't make it out this year as originally planned and coronavirus's ill effects appear to be further confirming that fear 
According to Forbes, a well-regarded business analyst is warning its clients that both PS5 and Xbox One risks not coming out this year, being instead pushed to 2021. DFC Intelligence's forecast reads in part, quote, Coronavirus is likely to have a major short-term impact on the delivery of both systems. There is a strong likelihood one or both systems will not make a 2020 launch. If the systems do launch, supply will likely be constrained and initial pricing could be higher than expected. Currently, the economy is in an unprecedented state of uncertainty. Even if the situation clears up in a few weeks, the ability to manufacture and release a new high-end game system has already been severely impacted, end quote. While neither Sony nor Microsoft have talked about a specific release date, they have confirmed intentions for holiday 2020 releases, presumably in October or November. Matthew O'Sullivan wrote into us on Patreon, just like you can out there, and says, if you had a bet on 499 US dollars on what year PS5 will launch, given the events of last week, which year would you bet on? I'm really starting to think 2021 is looking likely. Now, I got to say, Chris, not to have a Colin was right celebration moment, but even before coronavirus, I was saying that I don't think PS5 is coming out this year. And that was because of supply constraints and pricing issues and competition for components. I think that we're, I, I would easily bet $500 this, thing, this thing's not coming out this year. Yeah. So what do you, what do you think? What do you, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it really, I would probably bet that, yeah, it was probably going to come out next year. I don't think the economy is in a place that's good right now to release a machine. I think uh, if this thing, I mean, this thing is like very unprecedented and there's no way to tell how long this, this kind of thing is going to affect our day-to-day lives, let alone like the general economy, which it's already having like profoundly negative effects on. So I would imagine that even if things did get back on track and they somehow managed to maybe delay the release of the consoles even just a month uh, into like if they were going for September, they push it into October or October into November, people are still probably going to be not all that interested in spending $500 on a new gaming machine when they're short on cash from all this shit. Yeah, it's not looking good. I mean, if, if people are looking forward to PS5 this fall, I think you should temper your expectations because the DFC intelligence forecast is interesting because it says, and this is exactly what I said, so I'm pretty proud of myself. You guys should, you guys should be pretty proud of me if you listen to this show because I said that even if the console comes out, they're going to be so supply constrained that it's going to make it as if they shouldn't have launched it at all. It's going to cause a lot of problems, scalping, and all those kinds of things. And so I think it just makes a lot more sense for them to hold their consoles until March. Now, DFC Intelligence doesn't beats around the bush a little bit and doesn't really talk too deeply about it. But uh, the primary problem is not only the economy, which I think even, I mean, we don't know. As we're recording this, the stock market dropped the most in any day other than I think in the one day in the 80s since the depression. So we are so even more than the recession that happened in 2008. And so we are in uncharted territory now. So things can change materially even by the time we publish this tomorrow. But I look at this situation and I kind of agree that I think the market will bounce back once we see how this thing all settles. People want to spend money and they want consumer goods. It's just that it's being made in China. And I think that a lot of factory capacity there is just going to be affected. And then they're also going to be backlogged on other things that they need to build. So unless Sony's willing to pay more to kind of jump the line at Foxconn or whatever, it's just not going to be possible to get these machines out at an appropriate price in a, in a way that's not 
supply constraints. So to Matthew's question, Chris, I'm very comfortable betting $500 that yeah. this thing's not coming out this year. And yeah. I'm perfectly fine with that, by the way, because there's plenty of games to play on PS4. I don't think we really need these new consoles right now, but we're going to get them. I just think we're going to get it in like February or March. Max Dexter Smith wrote into us about this and said, hey, Colin and Chris, with the outbreak of a more contagious flu threatening to shut the world down, will this coronavirus be the final nail in the coffin for physical games? With workplaces and factories closing to contain the virus, I imagine getting physical discs and cartridges would be a lot more expensive and publishers would, at least in the short term, look towards releasing games digitally. Thanks for making Tuesdays and Fridays great and for using my porn name for the name of your upcoming game. Oh, that's disgusting. So... (laughs) It's actually kind of kind of hot, though, and at the same time. So I don't every game is available digitally. Every game that's ever been on PlayStation 4 is available digitally. So everyone's always had that option. But do you think that the virus will stop people from buying games physically, Chris, or push them more towards buying digitally, not only because they might not necessarily be able to leave the house or whatever, they don't want to get deliveries, but also because it's just more convenient this way yeah no i think um i think it's definitely going to turn the idea of i think it's going to turn people uh, a lot of people on to the idea of digital purchases especially like if they've traditionally like been really hard headed hard headed about like oh hey you know i'm gonna stick with physical games i like my box i like my manuals which you don't get anyway anymore (laughs) but yeah i think not being able to leave the house is probably like going to be the main thing for a lot of people who are like, ah, I want this new game. Doom Eternal and Animal Crossing are, are coming out. I imagine a lot of people, a lot of kids maybe, who maybe just don't, aren't used to it, will probably be like, hey, you know what? I could just get this digitally and not leave the house and not die. <laughs> and right, exactly. Probably gonna, don't expose and then once, yourself. Yeah, and then once all this thing, all this uh, virus talk is, is lightened up and everybody's back on their feet again, they're probably not going to go back because that's sort of what happens when you go to an objectively more convenient way of doing things. Yeah, I think this could be like an unintended positive consequence for everyone involved. And it is a good point to Max's point that discs might actually be more expensive to manufacture. So it's not only about the ability to go and get them because you could easily get them delivered and stuff like that with little negative impact, at least for the time being. But yeah, it could be a situation where game like it's just gonna be harder to find the manufacturing capacity to make these games and as i brought up many times so i don't mean to be redundant but games like borderlands 3 and the division 2 were canaries in the coal mine for physical games as those both sold more than 50 percent of their copies digitally at launch and that's a great sign for things to come i think and will allow prices i think ultimately to adjust although i know as we've discussed in the past that digital prices stay stubbornly high for the time being David Thomas wrote into us, the son of Dave Thomas, founder of Wendy's, says, hello, boys. Do you think that game sales will increase overall this year due to coronavirus? I think that people who are at home self-isolating will lead to a lot of games being sold. What do you think, Chris? Do you think we'll see more game, like cumulative game sales than we otherwise would have? Yes. Because of this? Yeah, yeah. I think so, too. Without a doubt. It's so like too. the best thing to invest in when you're stuck at home. Like, who the hell's going to buy a movie to occupy them for like an hour when they could buy... Doom Eternal and occupy themselves for like 30 to 40 hours. Who's going to, who's, who, why would you, like, it just seems like the smart thing to do, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with you here because I think typically in the last year of a console, software sales precipitously drop because people are anticipating the new console. Games are not coming out at a great clip, but there are actually a lot of great current gen games coming out this year. I think if they can also thread the needle on PlayStation Network with, 
some good sales and some appropriate discount pricing for games that have been out for a while, maybe double the PlayStation Plus offering, for instance, for the month, which I think would be really cool to do in April. If we're still dealing with this in a quarantine type situation, I think a lot of that would be a really positive uh, way to push volumes of games, even if, um, you know, money's made is flat or down. I think you'll see more games sold. All right, Chris, number four. Yes, the rumors were true. And Guerrilla Games is mega popular PS4 action RPG. Horizon Zero Dawn is indeed coming to PC. But don't fret. This is more of an experiment than a trend, according to the newly minted head of Sony Worldwide Studios, Herman Holst who prior to that posting was in charge of the aforementioned Guerrilla Games, the PlayStation-owned team best known for its Killzone FPS series. In an interview on the official PlayStation blog, Hulse was asked about his vision for the future of Worldwide Studios, to which he said, quote, We're very committed to dedicated hardware, as we were before. We're going to continue to do that. And we're very committed to quality exclusives and to strong narrative-driven single-player games. At the same time, we're going to be very open to experimentation, to new ideas, just trying things out to see what works. And then an ellipsis. I think it's important that we stay open to new uh, to new ideas of how to introduce more people to PlayStation and show people maybe what they've been missing out on. And to maybe put a few minds at ease, releasing one first party AAA title to PC doesn't necessarily mean that every game will now come to PC. In my mind, Horizon Zero Dawn was just a great fit in this particular instance. We don't have plans for day and day PC releases and we remain 100% committed to dedicated hardware, end quote. While Horizon is indeed the first first party game to come to PC, it's not the first Sony published game to migrate over by a long shot. All three Quantic Dream games are on PC, as are that game company's PlayStation games, as is Helldivers, and Death Stranding is soon to join that list as well as others. Angel the Jesus, probably the Jesus <laughs> wrote in, yeah. said, hello, Corona safe Colin and soon to be victim Chris. I have no problem with Death Stranding or Horizon coming to PC, but why do you think Sony decided to not publish Death Stranding on PC? I find it a little strange. Is it because Horizon is first party and Death Stranding isn't? Colin, will you take Chris's body to the incinerator? Uh, yeah, I think I won't. I won't let Chris turn into one of those devilish creatures. The, the sentence, the question on the Google document breaks, and he doesn't capitalize Death Stranding, so it looks like I have no problem with death. Yeah, I have no problem with death. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there good. it is. All right, so a little bit to talk about here. People were freaking out about uh, Horizon coming to PC. And when the rumors broke about this, people were really in denial about it. I I I thought it was pretty obvious that it was real, but now you know that it is. I think Herman Holst saying this stuff is interesting. And I think it's what I said earlier on when this rumor came out, which was that it seems like an experiment to see how it does and to extract as much value out of the game as possible. What do you make of uh, what he said to the PlayStation blog? Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense. I think uh, Horizon Zero Dawn is not like a storied PlayStation franchise. You know, it's just this, it's a newer addition to the family. It is a first party addition. It is a, you know, a new IP and it is a Sony owned IP, but that doesn't mean it needs to necessarily have this weird necessity to be glued onto the platform. It it seems like the perfect kind of game to test the waters in other markets with as far as PlayStation first party goes. You don't want to, you don't want to, I think I've said this before. I think we've talked about this exact thing before. It's like, you you don't want to, put God of War on PC because God of War has a lineage. Last of Us has a lineage. Uncharted has a lineage. Horizon's like new and fresh. So there's no, you're not breaking any precedent really by putting Horizon on PC in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So I think it's a good thing. I think that they'll get a lot of interesting data and see how it does and see if people are interested. And then they can go from there. 
think people are freaking out about this for no reason. And I don't think it's really anything to freak out about anyway. I don't know why anyone really even cares about this. But nonetheless, it'll if you care about Sony's coffers and their ability to make some money and dump it, dump it into newer and better games, then I think that you'll be pleased uh, that they'll be making more income and can dump it back into Gorilla to make a new game entities like we've said, Horizon 2. As far as why Sony's not publishing Death Stranding, I'm not entirely sure why they're not publishing it on PC. 505 Games is publishing it. This is going to be their biggest game ever. And I don't really know why Sony opted not to do it. I don't know if it's because they didn't want bad optics. I don't know if it's because it's second party. I don't know if Kojima Productions didn't want them to. There are a lot of different possibilities, but I don't want to speak out of turn because I really don't know why that is. So maybe we'll find out. Maybe they'll talk about it at some point. Number five, Electronic Arts' longtime monopolistic hold on NFL games is being broken. Well, kind of. The NFL has announced that it will be working with publisher 2K to bring new football games to players, including on PlayStation platforms. A big surprise considering EA and the NFL have had an exclusivity deal since 2004, forcing competitor NFL 2K out of the business entirely. However, we're not getting a Madden competitor. According to a press release from the NFL, quote, the NFL and 2K Today announced a multi-year partnership encompassing multiple future video games. The games will be non-simulation football game experiences. While specific game titles, developers, and release dates will be announced at a later date, 2K confirmed the projects are in early development and will launch starting in calendar year 2021, end quote. David Ismailer, president of 2K, noted that their games will be, quote, centered on fun, approachable, and social experiences, end quote. The last NFL 2K game was NFL 2K5, which launched in the summer of 2004 and was notable for its approach to pricing, charging only $19.99 to Madden's at the time $49.99. While Madden began back in 1988, however, 2K's football offerings are far less notable, having only begun in 1999. 2K did attempt a one-off football game in 2007 called All Pro Football 2K8. They used retired player licenses instead of the NFL license, but it was neither a critical nor a commercial success. It was funny, Chris. I know you're not a football fan or a sports fan, sports mm -hmm. game fan, but... When this news broke, people lost their minds for like one minute because they didn't read it. They didn't read it deeply enough to realize that this is not going to be a simulation. So it's going to be like something more like an NFL blitz type game and something more sociable right. and accessible as opposed to like a real Madden competitor. So it was funny, like reading the news. And then I read the press release and I was like, everyone's totally misinterpreting in this. And then like the next hour, everyone started kind of correcting their feelings. But this is still a pretty substantial move because... The Madden Monopoly is 15 years old and there really are no other NFL branded games. This is very similar to how the show really dominates baseball in the MLB license. But there are other baseball games that are not triple A simulation games like RBI baseball and so like backyard baseball and all this kind of stuff that do, that do use various licenses. So this is a cool way for the NFL to make more money. It doesn't really hurt electronic arts. So there's no problem there with the yeah. NFL. And 2K can get back in in the game, as it were, pardon the pun. That's cool. That's good. It's good news. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, I would like a more casual game, or at least, at least see a more casual NFL game and see what they can do with it. Yeah. But I remember so well, I, you, probably, you probably don't remember this because you weren't a fan, but when NFL 2K5 was 20 bucks, that was like a huge deal. I remember that really well because that was the only year a football game outsold Madden, like another football game in terms of uh, quantity sold. It also came out in July that year instead of August. So I don't know why I remember that shit, but I do. Number six, what's going on with Media Molecule's dreams? Well, according to a new post on the game's official website, 
It appears the team behind the game is thinking about how it will tackle a few fundamental problems that will help its creation software better thrive. For starters, Media Molecule notes that any original IP made using Dreams is retained by the creator, and the creators are free to do whatever they want with what they make, including making merch, including the work in a portfolio, and more. However, the biggest leap forward is Media Molecule wrapping its collective mind around Dreams being used to create real works that can be viably used and deployed off of the platform. As such, the developer is opening a so-called beta evaluation that players can sign up for so that they can see how people might intend on using Dreams. It's not only games Media Molecule wants to explore, but concept art, music videos, and more. Chris, what do you think of this? This is uh, nice. There's long been rumors that's, that Media Molecule and Sony are going to have to learn how to deal with these new licensing problems using their engine. And uh, we've discussed in the past that I really think that they should open a marketplace for the games being made there so people can make money. This seems like a first step towards that. How do you feel about it? Yeah, no, it makes uh, complete sense. I think uh, the, the the platform can't survive without that. I, th- I think it's it's interesting because it's following a very similar trajectory to pretty much any time a typically difficult career or difficult hobby gets a very low barrier to entry. Like we saw it with YouTube a lot, like in 2005, when suddenly content creation became a lot easier and a lot more manageable, and then it became you know, profitable and allowed people to kind of create their own things. SoundCloud is similar uh, in as far as music goes, whereas before people had to get like agents and like play gigs and shit. Now you can just make whatever the hell you want uh, with very easily accessible tools. Video editing is the same. So it stands to reason that, yeah, like any time that you open up game development to your average kid or teenager with very little, with a, what, a $20, $30 barrier to entry, stands to reason that a lot of people are probably going to flock to that who are interested in that and it stands to reason that there's going to be a lot of content made on that engine or that uh, platform that need to be sustained if you want to keep people on it and uh, need to be nurtured if you want to keep people on it so i think it's i think it's a smart move i think it makes a ton of sense i think it's interesting just how quickly it's happening because because you're seeing you're seeing the youtube evolution in like weeks basically (laughs) Yeah, it's it's I think I think you put it really well. It's essential to the the survival of this game, especially because it's not selling well and will allow it to proliferate, hopefully not only on this platform, but on PC as well. I think it's obvious that it'll come to PC. It'll obviously be native and backwards compatible on PS5. So this is a a first step in the right direction. It's a little concerning. I think Dreams is so half-baked that this actually just proves how half-baked it is, because this is something that should have been dealt with before the game came out. If they had any idea like how it was going to operate and how it was going to work, they certainly had enough time. This isn't something that developers need to deal with. This is something lawyers need to deal with. And why they didn't have this all going in the background so that this would all be ready to go as a selling point when the game still had a little bit of spark behind it last month is anyone's guess. Completely silly. Feel bad because the game is definitely not doing well. We'll talk about that in a little while. But this is certainly a step in the right direction to at least try to make it viable and last. Mm-hmm. Number seven, long-running rumors of a return of a Tony Hawk video game appear to be founded after all. Australian punk rock band Death Set released a post on their Facebook page that they licensed five of their songs to the Tony Hawk 2020 video game, though other details of the yet unannounced game have been re- haven't been revealed. From 1999 through 2015, the so-called Pro Skater series ran via publisher Activision across virtually every platform imaginable. Neversoft and Robomodo were the primary teams behind the dozen or so games, though the franchise ended on an increasingly poor note, finishing with Pro Skater 5 in 2015. 
Free of Activision, but with plenty of name recognition and excitement behind his products, it's unclear who Tony Hawk has partnered with for his new game or or what platforms it'll be arriving on. His only post-Activision game was 2018's Tony Hawk Skate Jam, a casual iOS and Android title. I loved that the band just came out and just said that they licensed their games to this, like they didn't uh, know that the game didn't wasn't announced yet or whatever, which I thought <laughs> was pretty funny. So they just totally blew it wide open. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder who they're working with. I wonder who is making this game. If they're licensing songs, I don't know about Skate Jam. Maybe there were licensed songs on there. There probably were, but that seems like a pretty heavy investment for an iOS and Android game. So you have to assume that this is a console game, but I do wonder what or who's making it and who's going to publish it. Or maybe if they went back to Activision, I don't know. Maybe WB. Oh, good thinking. That would be really interesting. Yeah, that would be an interesting because they definitely have a lot of, that would be really smart actually because they have so much, they have so many licenses that they can pull from because I remember like one of the cool things about Activision or specifically Tony Hawk back in the day was how many characters you could just put in there like Spider-Man was in that game for some reason because <laughs> Activision was publishing was publishing Spider-Man at the time I think it's interesting it's interesting to see well we will find out yeah number eight back in 1997 a point and click adventure game based on the famous 1982 sci-fi movie Blade Runner came to PC the game was developed by Westwood Studios, a team that was at the time owned by Virgin Interactive. By this point, Westwood was best known for its Command and Conquer series that Electronic Arts would later buy the studio for. But in 97, amongst a random series of licensed games, RPGs, and other titles, Westwood released its PC-exclusive Blade Runner game, and now, according to The Hollywood Reporter, it's being revived, ported to PlayStation 4 and other platforms, and readying for a 2020 launch. The remastered port is being led by Washington-based Night Dive Studios, which has quickly become a tour de force in the world of porting and remastering, having done dozens over the past seven years, including the Turok games, the Doom 64 port about to make its way to PS4 and others. It's also working on a ground up remake of the 1994 PC game System Shock that will also come to PS4. Night Dive Studios is working in conjunction with film company Alcon Entertainment, which brought Blade Runner's 2017 sequel Blade Runner 2049 to the theaters. Chris, are you a Blade Runner fan? No. Oh, okay. Well, fair <laughs> enough. I've never seen it, in fairness. So it's not like I hate it or anything, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just missed it. Missed the boat on it. Well, yeah, it's this is a pretty interesting revival. I'll be interested to see how this game is. It, again, is a point and click adventure game. I wonder how it'll translate to console, but there are plenty of them on console. So we'll see how that all goes. It's interesting seeing Westwood pop up. The Westwood game that I loved was the 90s Monopoly game that they did on PC which I played the shit out of. You can like play with people online. It was awesome. I loved it. <laughs> All right. We're almost done with the news. Number nine, the MPD group has released data about the top selling software and hardware in the United States for the month of February, 2020. When combining all applicable consoles, Call of Duty Modern Warfare was the month's best-selling game in dollar sales, with NBA 2K20, Grand Theft Auto V, Dragon Ball Z Kakarot, and The Division II rounding out the top five. Other notable games include Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order at 10, Minecraft at 11, Red Dead Redemption 2 at 13, and Need for Speed Heat at 19. Dragon Ball Z Kakarot is the best-selling game in the United States so far this year, with Modern Warfare, NBA 2K20, Grand Theft Auto V, and Madden NFL 20 rounding out the top five. Modern Warfare, NBA 2K20, Madden NFL 20, Borderlands 3, and Mortal Kombat 11 are the top five best-selling games of the last cumulative 12 months. PS4's top 10 best-selling games on a skew basis were in order Call of Duty Modern Warfare, NBA 2K20, Grand Theft Auto V, Dragon Ball Z Kakarot, Madden NFL 20, The Division 2, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, Dreams, FIFA 20, and Need for Speed Heat. 
Year over year, software sales are down 29%, and year over year, hardware sales are down 34%. So you see there that Dream snuck in number eight if you're just counting PS4 games. Yeah. The eighth best selling game in the US on PS4. Not good. Not mm-hmm. good at all. But, uh, well, we'll talk about this here in a moment, but uh, Dragon Ball Z's uh, sales are pretty strong. Hey, man, that's, uh, that's a nostalgic property, I guess, because that game it looks really bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like Dragon Ball Z and I like Dragon Ball Z video games a lot. Like, I, I played like a ton of them back in the day, but like, this is, uh, this is an interesting game to see as the, what is it, the best selling game in the United States so far this year? What the hell? It's March. That's so much time for Dragon Ball Z not to be that. It's weird. Um, I'm surprised. It seemed like a game that uh, Sweeney would play. He he's not playing. A no, no. Dragon Ball he Z. Is, he especially is uh, is not into into it. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Matthew Clem wrote in and said, "Did Ubisoft lower the price of the Division Two to prepare us for when the coronavirus destroys all semblance of government and society, like the dollar flu did in the games? Either way, good timing on their part. It is weird because that's what that game's about." It's about a pandemic. Yeah. And it's uh, the timing is certainly very strange. I'll, I'll give them that. Yeah. I don't think they knew anything, though, Matthew. I mean, there's a lot of weird shit. Like, uh, uh, th- th- I think there was like some book a long time ago that said, like, there's going to be a disease. There's going to be like a virus called Wuhan 400 in, tw- in 2020. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> that's real. That's real specific. All right. And let's see here. Number 10. Speaking of sales data, we have a couple of new numbers to share about some games, global sales, according to website Gamatsu. For starters, the mega popular Monster Hunter World expansion Iceborne sales have topped 5 million copies Jesus. in only a little over two months, making it a bona fide hit. You'll recall that the core game recently surpassed 15 million units sold, cementing it as Capcom's best selling game of all time. Likewise, the best selling core game of this year, Dragon Ball Z Kakarot, has surpassed 2 million units sold, having launched two months ago to the day we're recording this podcast. Since Kakarot is the best-selling game in America so far this year, its 2 million sales is actually fairly soft, however, and shows that nothing of real consequence has had a chance yet to come out and shine, though that's about to change in the coming months. That's going to change, obviously, with Neo 2, with Doom, which I think will probably become the best-selling game of the year. Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing, obviously, and then Final Fantasy VII Remake. So we will see. But yeah, congratulations to that, to those guys. It's amazing. Dragon Ball Z Kakarot, 2 million copies sold. Number 11, on the digital-only front, Chris, Call of Duty Warzone, the new free-to-play standalone battle royale Call of Duty game, has so far proven to be a gigantic hit for publisher Activision. On the official Call of Duty Twitter account, it was revealed that more than 15 million individual players have tried the game so far, a stunning number for a series that's best known for its premium single-player and multiplayer offerings, and in a genre that is beyond saturated. While Warzone currently accommodates up to 150 players per match, an article on USA Today notes that developer Infinity Ward is already aiming to roll out a patch that will allow 200 player matches, which will help further cement the game's place amongst the current pantheon of free-to-play shooters, including Fortnite, PUBG, and Apex Legends. So already 15 plus million players uh, trying it out. It's free. There is no barrier to entry. So I don't know how impressive that really is, but... Considering there are a lot of other competitors, I think it's pretty good. They probably also advertise the hell out of it on all their main Call of Duty games. I would imagine that there's probably like a little message of the message of the day or like a pop-up window that says, hey, we got this new Battle Royale thing, try it. Which goes probably a long way since Call of Duty sold the best uh, every single year in the last decade. Indeed. Indeed. So congratulations to Activision and Infinity Ward on that. And then finally, number 12... The wrap-up. Website Gamatsu reports that old-school action platformers Oniken, Unstoppable Edition, and Odalis The Dark Call will come to PS4 next week on March 24th. 
That card-based RPG, Deep Sky Derelicts Definitive Edition, is also coming to PS4 next week on March 24th. That music-based shooter, Freedom Finger, is also coming to PS4 on March 24th. That artsy side-scroller, A Juggler's Tale, is coming to PlayStation in 2021, though it's unclear if it's coming to PS4, PS5, or both. That third-person RPG, Wan or Zwanwan Sword 7, is coming to PS4 later in 2020. That puzzle platformer, Biped, is coming to PS4 in the second quarter of 2020. And that adventure game, Vampire the Masquerade Coteries of New York, is coming to PS4, quote-unquote, very soon. Jesus Christ. Though it remains to be seen exactly what that means. Website Polygon has revealed that cartoonish baseball game Super Mega Baseball 3 is coming to PS4 in April. And finally, Website Push Square reports that popular anime Demon Slayer, which Chris is a big fan of, is getting an arena-style fighter (laughs) that will be coming to PS4 in 2021, though it's unclear if it will migrate west. Apparently, it will migrate west. Apparently, it was just brought here, the anime itself. I don't watch anime because I'm not a fucking dork, but uh, we have that to look forward to as well. So that's all the news. How nice. Chris, let's get into the games that are coming out this week in the drop. As right. tradition dictates, you will go first. Chop is dish comes to PS4. Chop is dish tells. I hate that. I, I, something about that is really weird to say. Chop is dish tells the story of one cook who was robbed by some mystical creatures. Some strange monsters had suddenly appeared in his forest and stole his master chef's chunk of beef. Our cook needs this meat for his ultimate dish, and now it's gone. He has to act quickly and dangerously by pursuing the thieves and recovering his grand ingredient. Doom 64 comes to PS4. Celebrate Doom's 25th anniversary with the release of Doom 64, originally originally released in 1997 and now available for the first time on PlayStation consoles. As you battle through more than 30 action-packed levels, be on the lookout for enhanced weapons and secrets to help you put an end to the demonic threat. It's interesting that they still call it Doom 64, but Zombie U had to change to Zombie. Yeah, it is weird. I told you that I, I mean, it was just when this game was announced coming to PS4. I was like, I thought Doom 64 was just a port of Doom. Yeah. I didn't even actually know it was a unique game. I did not know that. That was just something that was totally lost on me for (laughs) 20 something years. So (laughs) I'm actually, you know, I'd like to buy that and play it at some point. I've actually never played it because I just assumed that I had already played it. Yeah. So. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Oh, thank God. Doom Eternal comes to PS4. Hell's armies have invaded Earth, become the Slayer in an epic single-player campaign to stop the final destruction of humanity. Also includes Battle Mode, a new two-versus-one multiplayer experience in which a fully-armed Doom Slayer faces off against two-player-controlled demons in a best-of-five round match of intense first-person combat. There it is, Chris. You're very soon by when we talk next... You'll be in hell. Ah. And I can't wait to hear what you think of it. I'm so excited. Epic Word Search Collection comes to PS4 and Vita. Epic Word Search puzzles are enormous. There are more than 1,500 words hidden in each massive scrollable grid. This collection contains Epic Food Word Search, Epic Journeys Word Search, Epic Animals Word Search, and Epic Sports Word Search. Explosive Jake comes to PS4 and PS Vita. Explosive Jake is a classic arcade game. Not only humans are afraid of dark and deep dungeons... Our hero is a little skeleton with an unhealthy love of explosions. Trying to escape from dangerous castle dungeons, help him avoid enemies and explode his way out. Sounds like Explosion Man. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. Or the the little known PlayStation 3 game. What was it called? Uh, Explodemon, which was (laughs) largely accused of copying that game. Kemiko comes to PS4. Kemiko is a game styled around Japanese Shinto beliefs. 
Fight as, pre- fight as priestesses and battle against demons while solving puzzles to make your way through the stages. Look no further if you are looking for an arcade game with a twist. Okay. La Mulana comes to PS4. Experience a classic tale of exploration, puzzle solving, and deadly action. Take control of archaeologist Lameza Kozugi. Kasugi? Yeah, that's whatever. Who cares? And navigate through puzzles, (laughs) traps, and deadly guardians to claim the secret treasure of life. Will you succeed in unraveling the secrets of La Mulana, or will you fall victim to the dangers that surround you? It's interesting. La Mulana came to Vita and PS3 already. I don't I thought it was on PS4, but I guess not. Hmm. And uh, you don't know. I don't know why they wouldn't release it earlier, considering La Mulana 2 comes to PS4. Experience a classic tale of exploration, puzzle solving and deadly action. Renowned archaeologist Lemiza Kuzugi has gone missing and his only daughter Lumisa can find him. Enter Eglana, an upside down version of the legendary ruins of La Mulana. What will you find at the end of your journey? Triumph or defeat? I don't know what's happening. I don't either, but I don't understand why they wouldn't. Why would they release them at the same time? That's probably like a like a pseudo bundle kind of thing. Yeah, I don't it know. just seems like you would want to get people stoked up, but maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. MLB The Show 2020 comes to PS4. MLB The Show is what baseball dreams are made of with new ways to play greater customization and more exciting new paths to rake in rewards. This is the biggest and best show ever. The Show 20 is your ticket to play America's pastime your way. Never last comes to be. Oh, by the way, real quick about the show. That's the last time that the show is ever going to be PlayStation exclusive. That's right. Just so you guys know. It's the last, uh, the last, uh, the end of an era. It is. Neverlast comes to PS4. Stop the demon invasion by destroying the three runic portals before it's too late in this fast action first person fantasy game. As a reckless hero from a bygone era, as a reckless hero from a bygone era and your castle is under siege from the dark forces. All right. All right. Destroy all three runic portals that have been summoned to your manor before it's too late. By the way, I know how Well, we'll talk about it more next week when we read Twin Breakers, but I have a lot of insight into how these things are written and how they are garnered now, by the way. But we'll I'll save it. I'll save the intrigue for next week because it makes it even worse when you find out how it happens. <laughs> RBI Baseball 20 comes to PS4. Legends, start here. <laughs> That's how it's written, I swear. Unleash greatness with your MLB crew in RBI Baseball 20. RBI redefines arcade baseball action with massive advancements, including brand new batting, pitching, and base running controls, all new broadcast style pitching camera, major visual improvements, and more authenticity. Rainbows, Toilets, and Unicorns comes to PS4. Good. Rainbows, Toilets, and Unicorns is a fast-paced shoot-em-up bullet hell where you'll have to progress through waves of enemies and beat 15 bosses. Oh, it's a shump. It's a a shump. That's right. There are five different and completely crazy worlds on your trip into the crazy world of unicorns. You can vent your unjustified frustration and face all of your most unfounded fears. All right. (laughs) Red Death comes to PS4. Blast through waves of arcane enemies and take down monstrous bosses as you defend the earth against an unknown calamity. I like the word calamity. It's It's, It's not used nearly enough. As a prologue to Project Starship, vertical bullet hell shump. I'm going to start saying shump now instead of shoot him up. You have to deal with it. Please. Uh, Red Death sets a collision course against a full scale invasion bent on eradicating humanity presented in nostalgic four tone style. I thought I was going to say nostalgic 4K for a second. I was was (laughs) like, what? All right. Let's see here. Oh, I've, I've actually been hearing good things about this game. Round Guard comes to PS4. Castle Spring Bottom is under attack. 
It's up to the round guard to save the king and recover his gold. Fling your hero into the face of danger and bounce off hordes of dangerously cute monsters to reach the bottom of the dungeon. With only one life, you'll need to learn how to navigate hazards, make strategic choices, and master your hero's skills if you hope to defeat the final boss. Apparently, this is like Peggle, but like an RPG as well. Oh. So. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't announced with it wasn't announced with anybody on stage uh, fist bumping the air real quick. So, no, I don't know if I can. Not. I don't know if I can consider it. Thunderpaw comes to PS4 and PS Vita. Thunder was out playing with his ball in the fields when he suddenly heard a loud explosion near his house. It must have been explosive Jake. He rushed home, worried about his parents, only to find no one was there. Just a single letter that said his parents had been kidnapped. It's up to Thunder to rescue them. It's awfully considerate. <laughs> hey, I kidnapped your parents. That's awesome. Finally, TT Isle of Man Ride on the Edge 2 comes to PS4. Racing across an open 60 kilometer long ultra technical track at breakneck speed requires realistic riding skills. That is the challenge that awaits in TT2. Lots of new features lie ahead. Open world, reworked physics, classic motorbikes and more. Fine tune your motorbike, upgrade its performance and monitor its data in real time to stay competitive. So those are all the games, Chris. There are some big ones. Doom Eternal, obviously, I think is the biggest. And uh, there's almost also MLB The Show. Yeah. So I would say that those are the two big guys for this week. Yeah. No, without a doubt. I'm so ex- I'm, I'm so excited. Good good Lord. Yeah, I'm, I don't uh, request games anymore, so I'm going to buy it and uh, play it this weekend, hopefully. So we'll yeah. have m- much to say about it next week, episode 91. Chris's tradition dictates... We have six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience ready to be jumped into. They can, they've submitted them on Patreon just like you guys can. Zach Heller wrote into us, said, Howdy, CNC. With all the delays hitting the film industry, what do you think will be the first high-profile game to get a delay due to corona? Do you think there will be any? Stay safe, guys. What do you think, Chris? Do you think we're going to... So, like, every film has been delayed, basically. So, yeah, I think that this is a little different because that you don't have... It's not like a... You don't have to like go somewhere and like sit in a theater with yeah. other people giving you a virus. But development is development is definitely probably slowing down because a lot of people are working from home, which while, you know, not super detrimental is definitely there's definitely a breakdown in communication there that would probably slow things down a little bit more than they otherwise would be. Yeah, uh, I know yeah. that Bungie is working from home right now. I know that plenty of other, plenty of other developers are taking similar precautions. I don't know. As far as like the first high profile, like I'm going to say this right now and I think I'm I think I'm right. Halo. I think Halo's getting delayed. And I think it's probably going to be the first high-profile one because it's the first game that's really been announced to launch with these next-gen consoles. And because the next-gen consoles are likely going to be delayed, I would imagine that that's probably the first one that we'll hear about because it's the only one that we really know about. Right, right. Yeah, well, that's a, and that would be an interesting one because it, it, that would be interesting especially because so many people have been waiting for it for so long. Oh, yeah. So Yeah, I can't imagine what that's like. Yeah, so, yeah, I know exactly. You know all about it. So, yeah, I don't know. But I don't think any of the imminent games are going to get delayed. Like, we know that Final Fantasy VII Remake is gold or going gold. Mm -hmm. Resident Evil 3, they just said, was going to make it. What do you think about Cyberpunk? What do you think think about their chances? Because they've already delayed. Yeah, that's a good one, too. I know that I was reading. I didn't feel like it was really newsworthy, but I was reading that that CD Projekt is all working remotely now as they wait for this thing to ride out, especially because Europe has been so obliterated by this uh, virus and it's even gotten into Poland where they are. So it w- it's realistic that 
that it could get delayed. And I think people would just have to understand. I, I just think that we have to look at this now like Ghost of Tsushima might get delayed. And I don't know if The Last of Us Part Two will get delayed. They did release a picture of the studio like working and like looking at a build. I think that they'll probably make it. But if PS5 doesn't come out this year, which we might get an announcement on in the coming weeks, then maybe it makes a lot of sense to just boot both of those games to the fall or like actually let Last of Us leapfrog Ghost of Tsushima and come out in the fall, whatever, just so there's something to play. But I don't know if they're really interested in doing that. I don't know how they're going to try to balance their books. But yeah, Cyberpunk's a great is a is an obvious one. And this might have really lasting ramifications for just about everything that comes out after Q2. So we'll keep a close eye on the situation. But this is these are the times where you're glad that you have a backlog and you're glad that you have. You know, if you're like me, you have 500 games on your PS4 in your library. Yeah. So there's there's certainly something there to play. Ryan Griffiths wrote in and said, yo, Sea Dogs, we hear all the time about video games being made into movies and TV series. But if you could make a game based off of a movie or TV series instead and to a very high quality, I'm talking Naughty Dog standards. What would you like to see? Personally, I'd love to see a game based on Judge Dredd. Keep up the best podcast out there from a longtime fan. Um, and he says, P.S. have recently discovered the Snark Take podcast, thanks to Sacred Symbols, and it's Aww. fucking hilarious. The Twinkie conversation last week had me crying with laughter. Tom Sweeney needs his own channel already. Snark Tank is Chris's comedy podcast. Yeah. So shout out to that. All right. So this is a good one. This is actually a good, uh, thoughtful question. And I don't know what the answer is. I mean, things that come to mind for me are like games like or shows like The Expanse, which I really love. But that's mm-hmm. based on a book as well. That would be a pretty cool game. Something I've been watching Vikings and which is pretty good. And that would be a pretty cool game. I really liked the show. It got canceled after the third season, I think, but it was called Colony. Right. About an alien invasion of Earth. I really, really loved that show as well. That would be a cool game. Uh, Those guys come to mind. And obviously, I mean, it's the it's the trite answer at this point, but just a high quality hundred million dollar G.I. Joe game. I'd fucking kill for that. (laughs) Just absolutely love that. What do you think? Is there anything that comes to mind for you, Chris? Oh, man. Uh, Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe. Dirty Jobs. (laughs) I feel like there was a Dirty Jobs game. Yeah, I feel like there was also. No, I don't know. I I don't really. Nothing comes to mind. I I kind of don't like my worlds intersecting like that. Like, I think I remember when The Walking Dead game came out and I remember being like, "Ah, I don't know if like the game. It's the game itself was good, but like the premise of playing a game based off a tv show felt really kind of strange to me and i didn't really like it which is weird because i don't mind playing movie-based games and like there's a plenty of movie-based games from like when i was a kid that i i really adore but uh i don't know for whatever reason tv shows and like stuff like that like i i, I don't know i think i'm happy having my own ip and there are some certain ip that i feel are just video game versions of existing movie ip uh, or existing TV show IP without actually having the IP. Like, I, obviously, like, Uncharted is Indiana Jones, and Destroy All Humans is, like, kind of like an, like an Invader Zim kind of games. Uh, and there's a bunch of, like, spiritual games like that. But I don't know if I want to see a direct, like, hey, here's, you know, uh, I don't even know. Here's Tim Allen in Home Improvement, the video game. Like, I, right. I don't know if I need that. Yeah, well, there was a Home Improvement video game. That I do know. For sure. It was yeah, there SNES. was. Yeah, it was a SNES. He had a <laughs> chainsaw and he killed velociraptors. <laughs> yeah. So just the, the era of just everything having to be licensed. It was really weird. I did look it up. There is no dirty jobs game. So 
we could make that a reality, perhaps. Mike, <laughs> Mike Rowe is, uh, has disappeared off the face of the planet. He's an interesting, he was an interesting cat. Yeah, he was. I always can, you remember Cash Cab? I was just, I was just about to bring up Cash Cab. <laughs> uh, who is that guy? I don't know. Like, I always just see them as the same person, but yeah. they're not. No, but they're not the same person. Let me see. Cash Cab is... I can't believe I... I can't believe that that train of thought was so similar. Guy named... Yeah, Ben Bailey. They do kind of look like the same person. <laughs> they look so similar. It's pretty interesting. They kind of look like... Oh, what's that guy? I think it's like it's Hayden Thomas or like something. He, he played uh, Sandman in Spider-Man 3. He had, they both have that kind of like square jaw kind of... Like every man kind of looked to him. Thomas Hayden Church. Oh, okay. There you go. Let's see here. All right. Chris wrote in. Different Chris. He says, hey, guys. Thoughts on Reggie fils being appointed to the GameStop board of directors. What do you think he could bring to the failing game store? So Nintendo's Reggie. He doesn't work there anymore. He retired. Uh, this was a big story. But I feel like it, I, I'm sick of talking about GameStop. And also, we're not a... Nintendo podcast, so it just didn't seem relevant, but I did want to bring it up here in the letter, in mm-hmm. the letter section of our podcast. Yeah, so he's joined the GameStop board of directors and is going to help try to turn that company around. Obviously, Reggie is uh, best known as the former president and COO of Nintendo of America, which he was for almost uh, 15 years, I think. So what did you make of this? This was a weird one. I feel I don't I mean, they must be offering him a nice chunk of change because I don't feel like he has any insight that's going to save that company because I don't think anyone has any insight that's going to save that company. I don't think it's to be saved. But uh, do, what do you think about it? Did you see the story? I did. I think it's uh, I think it's super smart on Reggie's part because he goes into GameStop. Everybody expects GameStop to just kind of die and dwindle away. Like that's the ex- that's the expectation for GameStop is that they just perish under the weight of their own irrelevance. So Reggie just going in there making a decent amount of money to just go in there and try to help. Like, if he fails, everybody's like, ah, yeah, well, I mean, what could, what could Reggie have done, really, realistically? And he just looks like a nice guy helping out this company. But if he somehow manages to pull some miracle out of... Uh, if he managed to, like, somehow turn that company around and make it profitable, profitable again, then he's the guy that saved GameStop. So, like, it's like a virtually win... It's a complete win-win for him. Like, regardless of how you could possibly spin it. Yeah, I, oh, I, I totally agree with that. It reminds me of... Why am I spacing on his name? The guy who ran Xbox before Phil Spencer. Oh, Don Matrick. Don Matrick. When he exactly when he went to Zynga um, to Zynga, I was like, why are you doing this? But it's obviously for money. I mean, he he even precipitated maybe the ruination of that company ultimately. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it it, it is. a. It, there's nothing to be lost because like you're saying, if he does have this like meteoric success in this mighty Titan, like turnaround of this company. He's going to look like a hero. And if not, he already retired. He already made his mark. No one's really going to judge him. Yeah. So I'd be interested to know how much he's making. Imagine hiring Don Matrick. <laughs> I literally, I can't imagine. <laughs> God. Just absolutely. I don't like, to, I don't talk about people's looks. I'm not God's gift to man by any stretch of the imagination. So I don't mean this in terms of if he's attractive or ugly, but he just has a face that I just it just made me viscerally angry. Like, it's, yeah, his his doofy affect. He made everybody viscerally. Angry. I don't know anybody like when I was like really deep into the Xbox ecosystem and I still am to a certain to, to a certain extent. But like I remember back when he was like like the main guy who would come up every E3. Nobody 
None of my friends were happy to see him. He was always the worst part of the show. And I I firmly believe, like, he, he tanked. He did more damage to Xbox as a brand than I think anyone could have possibly done damage to anything. Like, it's amazing. Like, that, that famous interview of him being like, well, we have, we have a product for those who can't get any sort of connectivity. It's called Xbox 360. It's like, good lord, you moron. And then getting him getting hired at a company, I don't know, man. Whatever. I feel like I could have uh, made a better hiring decision there by just not doing that. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. So, we can move on from him. Yeah. Giorgio Jankowski wrote in and said, Hey, CNC, first time writing in. You are the only Patreon I've ever joined. And thank you both for the great content. Thank you, Giorgio. Colin, previously, you've talked about PlayStation exclusives like God of War and Spider-Man having an attach rate of around 10% based on copies sold versus PS4s in the wild, much lower than Nintendo. My inquiry is, unlike Nintendo games, PS4 exclusives are often sold used at a much lower cost. How many millions of used copies of Spider-Man and God of War do you think get sold compared to the reported numbers of digital and brand new copies sold from Sony? As someone who buys used copies myself, I wouldn't be surprised if used sales account for more than double the reported numbers, thus giving titles much higher attach rates than we think. Uh, Keen to hear your thoughts. Uh, Chris, I think he's missing something important here. The attach rate, when when you get rid of your physical game, you're removed from the attach rate. You don't own it anymore. So if the game is sold used, it doesn't affect it at all. Yeah. So it's important to keep that in mind. Sony doesn't see any of that money, which I don't really care about. Uh, but it is important to note that like if you sell God of War, you're not and someone else gets that copy of God of War from GameStop that you used to own. The attach rate stays the exact same. So I think a lot of games are circulated on PS4 at a used. But I think that that I haven't seen stats and I don't know about this, Chris. I don't know if you have any insight into it, but. I wouldn't be surprised if Nintendo Switch games actually sold used at a higher clip because Nintendo games retain their value way longer. Yeah. Their relative market value. They, they, Nintendo doesn't drop the prices in games. Sony drops the price of first party games pretty quickly. And you can get games like God of War and Spider-Man for no more than like 10 bucks now, I think, or 15 bucks. So, yeah, you're not going to see Pokemon or anything like that at $15 or $10 ever. So I don't know what the statistics really indicate but i do want to point out that while your question is coming from the right place you're not looking at it through an accurate lens because the copy is already out there it's sold it's sold once you can only sell the game once yeah. attach rate is not you know the total amount of experiences people have with video games like it's it's not like uh, i'm sure more than i'm sure more than 10 million people have played or experienced spider-man but the yeah the attach rate is the same Jeffrey, we have two more. Jeffrey Leonard wrote in and said, Hey, Hugh Honey and Vic Vinegar. I've been paying close attention to The Last of Us Part 2 since it was announced. That being said, I have noticed that some people have a problem with one particular aspect of the game. Ellie is the protagonist this time around, and her sexuality is being unapologetically placed as a pillar of her character. Many people in the gaming community feel this is being pushed in a pandering manner, that it may be jeopardizing the quality of the writing. We've known about her sexuality since Left Behind, and it was hinted at throughout the first game outside of any religious or political differences. Uh, Yeah, there needed to be a period there. Outside of any religious or political differences, I see no reason to take issue with this very real aspect of her character. Do you think people are getting bent out of shape over this? Or is Naughty Dog being a little too preachy with her character evolution? I'm really interested to see what you have to say about this, Chris, because I really feel like, and this comes up on our show every once in a while, but I feel like people are getting way too enamored with being upset about 
just menial and stupid shit. Like, is her lesbianism, like her sexuality, is that like a part of her character? Yeah. But I don't feel like they're pushing it or anything like that. They're just exposing the character more and who she is and how she operates in this really uh, dystopian world. But I'm so sick. Of, and I, I'm not saying Jeffrey. Jeffrey's actually, I think, making our point. But or my point, which is like, I don't. Th- how is it jeopardizing the quality of the writing? Yeah. You know, like, how is it putting anything into into doubt about how good this game's going to be or how it plays or anything like that? It's just a little bit of a piece of different texture for Ellie's character that I quite enjoy. I think it's really cool that she's gay because it wasn't something you really expected to ever come up or be relevant, especially because she's like a teenage girl in the game. It's like a it's like a taboo thing you learn about through her lens, not through a lens of necessity. I think that that's interesting and and certainly not the only gay character in the game. Obviously, you meet I don't want to spoil it, but you meet an NPC that's gay. And you learn a lot about his experiences in the game through different letters and stuff like that that you find. And I just I'm just so annoyed by people being upset about all this like SJW shit. Uh, What do you think? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's it sounds very snowflakey to use this to use the terminology that I feel like would resonate most to be upset that a gay character in a video game is gay. I don't think it's being like I I don't feel like it's being pushed too hard in the same way that I don't feel like you know whenever Geralt is in in the company of some lady in The Witcher Three I don't really feel like I'm being I don't really feel like I'm having like a straight relationship pushed on me in the same way that I, like I I just wouldn't feel the same way if a gay character was to have the same kind of thing it's it's really not that big of a deal. Right. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's um, it's got to calm down. Yeah, I don't understand why this is like such a like, can't we just move on and talk about other things? Like, I, I know that it's it's a situation where it's a relevant factoid to talk about if if these things are being pushed into your face. And I know that that's what he's saying and that some people's claims are that, but I don't see it that way in this game. And I don't know how people can look at the caliber of writing in a game like that and think yeah. anything else, but I guess we'll find out. There's Hillary Clinton putting out three children's book about what a strong woman she is, and then there's actually having a strong woman character. You know what I mean? Like, there's those are two very different things, and I feel like people uh, are often so enamored with how ridiculous the the extreme is that they look at the mundane with the same kind of lens, and... You got to calm down with that because you run the risk of just being exactly the kind of thing that you complain about. And finally, Chris, Jeffrey Hurley wrote into us and said, hello, loquacious Colin and lascivious Chris. After playing Control, Horizon Zero Dawn and The Division and listening to many of the audio recordings and reading the lore, I got to thinking about how the background lore impacts the overall experience. Are these seemingly unimportant background items and unappreciated part of the world building? Is there a piece of background lore or an audio conversation that has really stuck with uh, struck you as being particularly cool? I love the bit with metal flowers and collecting the mugs in Horizon Zero Dawn. I thought it was so clever how much importance was placed on mundane objects by the people of the future world. And I feel Horizon Zero Dawn would have been much less incredible without that. Uh, what is KD, KDG? Keep oh, Tuesdays great. Oh, okay. yeah. I don't even know our own sayings anymore. <laughs> and thanks for all that you both do. Uh, thank you, Jeffrey, for writing in. I, you know, this is an interesting and relevant conversation to me because... I would say a majority of the writing in our game is actually in 
collectible background documents that you don't have to read and oh, yeah, never experience sure. that that gives you a lot of texture to what happened in the events leading up to the game and i had a really fun time with it and i was really inspired by a lot of the games that i had played beforehand and i think bioshock is one of those really inspirational games for me i also think Arkham Asylum and, and certain other games are really inspirational. I really love audio diaries. I've always loved them. I think oh, that yeah. they're really they don't make any sense, really. But I think that they're cool because they allow you to listen and play and and immerse yourself. The side story that I think resonated with me most, and I think this is a common theme for a lot of people, is uh, the what is the guy's name in? Uh, fuck, I just it just came in out of my mind. Was it uh, The Last of Us? So, yeah, it's Ish. Sorry, I had to go look it up. Yeah, is the uh, the story of Ish in The Last of Us. I was going to say Ib. So I knew that wasn't right. Uh, and you like just learn about this dude and his situation just by reading notes. And you find yourself in this really interesting setting in The Last of Us. I won't spoil it again. I know that some people haven't played it, although you've definitely had time to play it at this point. But you find yourself in this setting that would have no context what was going on unless you took the time to read that stuff. And it would still be a cool setting without that. But by taking the time to kind of immerse yourself in the lore outside of just the story of Joel and Ellie. It gives so much texture to the game. And I really wanted to do something like that with Twin Breaker, although it's not it's not The Last of Us, obviously. But that's why I wanted to bring this in, because I really love that kind of stuff. I really go out of my way to read and, and immerse myself in that kind of stuff in games. I know some people are annoyed by that stuff, but I think it's a really cool video game centric way to tell stories. What, what do you think about this, Chris? What are some of your favorite standouts? Oh yeah, no, I, I, a lot of pretty much everything in in the original Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite were pretty, pretty fantastic to listen to and really well delivered and really well, um, really well acted. Bioshock is probably like the king of audio audio logs. I think, I don't think that's a necessarily a controversial uh, statement. But there was one that uh, really took me aback that was like really really cool, which was, and this is not PlayStation centric at all, though. Who knows with the direction that shit's going, and it it might be eventually. But uh, in Halo, Halo 3 ODST had this whole side story just in the audio diaries of just this woman in Africa trying to escape this city during an invasion. And it's her story about trying to escape to some underground bunker. And she's like getting intercepted by these like fucking political figures. And it's like it's totally separate from the main story and totally separate from any main characters that you meet. It has no holds very little relevance to any of the characters that you actually interact with in that game, but it's really, really uh, surprisingly well acted and really well written and really cool, and it it could probably be its own radio drama if it wanted to be. And it's that's what's uh, I, I really like audio diaries. I I I love them, and that was one of the ones that really stuck out to me. I hope that uh, they bring. I I think it's not all that unlikely that the collection comes to a PlayStation platform in the future. I, I would say that that's probably at least a future thing. Yeah, so I, w- I would love for everybody to experience that because that, that shit was cool. <laughs> it's so lame. It's like so it's like almost self-important of the own my own story. But I've really been playing around with the idea of like writing a prequel novel for Twin Breaker just for fun, <laughs> because it is so fun to like flesh out the events of this thing that you just made up in your own mind. And you have an idea of what it looks like and how it happened, but no one else would know unless you told them. So it's I've just really come to appreciate all the work that goes into that different stuff. I will say with control. Mm hmm. That game was dense as shit. I mean, that was like one of the densest lore games I've ever played, where when we did our spoiler cast, I didn't even really understand 
the game. <laughs> you know, like I, 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 I think that it became clear when I was writing it and like getting all the questions together and we got a lot of interesting and um, thought provoking thoughts from people. I was just like, I don't even get what the fuck's happening here. Yeah. So I think you can go too far in one direction, but I do think Horizon Zero Dawn is a great example of mm-hmm. doing it the right way. And really, really, actually, it's kind of like cute in, in a sense in some of the ways they do it. So, Chris, that's all we have for this episode, this viral episode of Sacred Symbols of PlayStation podcast. Do you have any closing thoughts before we go? I am going to hell. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited going to for you. Going to, I can't. I'm so excited for Doom. I can't even I can't even describe actually with with words. I, I maybe I could with pictures. And possibly maybe uh, a grand piano that's really out of tune, but uh, I, I can't. I cannot with words describe. Well, I'm excited for you. I'm looking forward to playing it as well. We'll have a lot of thoughts on Doom Eternal next week, and uh, yeah, nothing else for me except for just to stay safe out there, be good, and really try to uh, you know keep to yourselves. And let's try to stem the tide of this thing so we can get back to normal as quickly as possible. Yeah. And we'll keep going and we'll be here for you to entertain and inform. And uh, we will see you next time for more Sacred Symbols. Until then, goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Richmond, Virginia and Burbank, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Chris Adams, Carlos Algarit, Morgan Ashley, Saul Balcazar, Taylor Barkley, Martin Beck, Tyler Bello, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Lennon Brixey, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Bjorn Campbell, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chand, Sean Chandler, David David Chestnut, Carter Childs, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Philip Crone, Daniel Diamore, Colin Davenport, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Jerome Ferreira, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Jordan Gale, Chris Galvin, Darren Gardner, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Jonathan H., Eric Harden, Tyler Harris, Richard Hebert III, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Robbie Hensley, Scott Hernandez, Blake Israel, Azan Isa Al Ricey, Josh Yeager, Joshua Jonathan, Paul Joyce, Greg Juliffs, and and K. Patrick Kelly, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Bo Clant, Mason Cadillac, Jackson Lastiqua, Don Q. Lee, Jeffrey Leonard, Patrick Leslie, Keith A. Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Scott Lovelace, Josh M., Kiet Mai, Ryan T. Mandel, Daniel Margaka, Ross Maranka, Matt Martin, Sean Mason, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Raul Melendez, Alex Moans, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Stephen Nieder, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, Dan Nolan, George A. Nunez, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Zach Parsley, Daniel Parsons, Todd Paxton, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew Perdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Plymel, Jeff Pollard, Lawrence F. Prokop, Nathan R., Ryan Reeves, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Jose Salinas, John Schultz, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Gregory Slavinsky, Joshua Smallwood, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Trembley, Daniel Vale, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, David Wright, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zaniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Homeworld Hub, Vexius, Throw7, McDog18, Infinite, Boots, Organic Produce, Mad Mock Media, Bloody 
Fang, Mubarak, Richter86, Hugo's Desk, Of Fortuna, Andrew, Ian, Gamer Filmaholic, Megadet, and Rainick.